بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا ما بعد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى يا ايها الذين امنوا اذا نكحتم المؤمنات ثم طلقتموهن من قبل ان تمسوهن من قبل ان تمسوهن فما لكم عليهن من عده تعتدونها فمتعوهن وسرحوهن سراحا جميلا يا ايها النبي ان احللنا لك ازواجك اللاتي اتيت اجورهن وما ملكت يمينك وما ملكت يمينك مما افاء الله عليك وبنات عمك وبنات عماتك وبنات خالك وبنات خالاتك وبنات خالاتك اللاتي هاجرن معك وامراه مؤمنه ان وهبت نفسها للنبي ان اراد النبي ان اراد النبي ان يستنكحها خالصه لك من دون المؤمنين قد علمنا ما فرضنا عليهم في ازواجهم وما ملكت ايمانهم لكي لا يكون عليك حرج وكان الله غفورا رحيما ترجي من تشاء منهن وتؤوي اليك من تشاء ومن ابتغيت ممن عزلت فلا جناح عليك ذلك ادنى ان تقر اعينهن ولا يحزن ويرضين بما اتيتهن كلهن والله يعلم ما في قلوبكم وكان الله عليما حليما لا يحل لك النساء من بعد ولا ان تبدل بهن من ازواج ولو اعجبك حسنهن ولو اعجبك حسنهن الا ما ملكت يمينك وكان الله على كل شيء رقيبا respected elders and brothers mothers and sisters dear listeners alhamdulillah last week we covered the aspect of the last verse aspects we spoke about with dhikr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the importance of doing dhikr regularly morning and evening and the benefits of that was one of the ayats that we discussed uthkurullah dhikran kathira wa sabbihuhu bukratan wa asila and the various benefits a person gets when he is involved in the dhikr of allah azza wa jal wa alladhi yusalli alaykum he is blessed with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessing upon him the angels and that these blessings will take a person out from darkness dhikr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most powerful tool to get, get us out of darkness towards the one nur remember darkness comes in many types many forms many layers but nur is only one and through dhikr we are able to get out of that mess um, and then allah azza wa jalla spoke to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he said how rasul sallam is a, a is a witness for this ummah as well as a giver of glad tidings and a warner and inviter towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a luminate uh, lantern four different um, qualities of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and how Rasulullah sallallahu came not only to invite people but also to rectify their spiritual uh, issues 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Give the glad tidings to the believers, that they are going to be gaining much grace from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You, you need to rejoice, you need to be happy that you have been blessed with Iman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you much to enjoy and much to be happy with. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Rasulullah Make sure we do not sway and do not end up trying to include people who are not worth including. The disbelievers and the hypocrites who will try to change the deen and the dictates of the deen. They will try to change it around. Don't obey them, right? Instead, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of your deen. Just right now, someone is asking in a group, one of the ulama group, someone said, you know, a person comes up to you now and says, okay, it's a female, muslimah. We know a muslimah cannot get married to a non-muslim. We all know that. Right? A person who is blessed with Islam, a female who is blessed with Islam, she may not get married to someone who's not, who has not been gifted yet with this gift. That's, that is the rule. Now if someone comes to you, which is happening almost every day now, people say, well, I, I fall in love with someone, I want to get married to him, but he's not a Muslim. Okay? He's not a Muslim. So someone is asking, what, what do you, what, how do you answer that? Can, you wanna, this is what the Sharia says. If you want to listen, you don't listen. If you don't want to listen, you want to do your own thing. Well, there's a thousand people, millions of people who are doing, committing zina. Are they trying to get a fatwa to make it permissible? So if you want to do zina, don't try to come make it, you know, try to make it permissible. But why are you trying to make your conscience happy but trying to find some fatwa here and there and say, you know, I studied the Qur'an. And I recognize that there's nowhere this is Qur'an mentions this. This is part of uh, the, uh, the movement of um, you know, men, men who wrote the tafsirs, they're anti-women. So they have come up with this whole agenda of not allowing this. Hence, from my study of the Quran, I think that this should be permissible. Take it away. If you want to do it. Why are you trying to make it permissible? Like you, you don't expect me to now feel sad and sorry and accommodate say, Chalo, yeah, we'll, we'll find something for you here. Here you go. If we start doing that, then the deen will be finished. The deen is set Someone wants to obey and listen, alhamdulillah. You don't want to, just like we talked about this a couple weeks ago, to acknowledge your weakness and say, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunately prone to sin. I'm, I'm, I fell in love with the wrong person. This, I'm not going to say this is halal. I mean, Allah guide me and get me back on the right track. That's fine. But to try to go mix and try to change the deen is something which we cannot allow. We have no right to do that. And all of us who are, you know, are responsible for sharing the same message, with people. That if you want to benefit from the deen, benefit as it is. If you don't want to, the door is there. We don't want, we want everyone to stay here. But don't try to emotionally blackmail us. See, otherwise I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to, leave, I'm going to leave Islam if you don't. We will try to accommodate. But you cannot make tahleelul haram and tahreemul halal. That's kufr itself. Something which is halal to make it into haram, something which is haram to make it halal. That's an, that is absolutely not your authority to do so. And my authority to do so. So we hope everyone understands that and doesn't try to change the deen. But when people do not understand that, then absolve yourself. Say, I can't get involved in this. I am also saying that don't push a person. Say, don't say, leave Islam. I'm not saying that. My point is, you just simply say, I can't help you on this situation. It is what it is. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for you, guide you. Type of thing like that. That scenario. So Allah is telling the Prophet do not yield to the dictates of the disbelievers and the hypocrites. 
but rather overlook their harm. Okay, they will harm you, they will try to mess around, they will try to physically, you know, attack you emotionally, physically. Leave them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient as your guardian. Trust Him. Now move on to the next category of ayats. This is regarding marriage. Uh, and more so about divorce actually. We talked about marriage also last week. So if you missed it, please do listen to last week's tafsir. When I spoke about the importance of marrying on the basis of deen. Especially for men who are sitting here and young brothers. And what type of girl we should be looking for. And the mistakes that we make in that, you will pay the price for not just your life, for generations. You will make your kids and great grandkids pay for the mistakes you make in choosing the wrong spouse. Ya amanu, O you who believe, if you marry believing women, and thereafter divorce them before touching them in intimacy. If you marry believing women, and thereafter you divorce them before touching them in intimacy, meaning before you have consummated the marriage then you shall have no waiting period to keep count of them. This is what we call iddah, the waiting period. Then you shall have no waiting period if you get married and you divorce before, being, uh, you know, before consummating the marriage. But you shall make provisions for them and release them with the most gracious release. Meaning although you are parting ways, but make it as amicable as possible. Right? Even give a gift, parting gift. Even though we haven't lived in the same house even for one moment. But since it didn't work out, and it's definitely going to take an emotional you know, toll, not only on the man, but on the woman too. So let's make up that for her by giving her some gifts. And saying some nice words. And graciously let them go. Ya Yuhan Nabi, our Prophet For you we have indeed made lawful your wives to whom you have given their full dowry compensation. And those whom your hands may rightfully attain to from whatever spoils Allah has turned over to you. Moreover, of those women who have immigrated with you, you may marry of the daughters of your paternal uncles, and the daughters of your paternal aunts, and the daughters of your maternal uncles, and the daughters of your maternal aunts. Moreover, moreover lawful in marriage for the Prophet ﷺ is any believing woman who may have forgiven her dowry while offering herself to the Prophet ﷺ in marriage, if the Prophet intends to marry her. This provision, meaning to accept someone who says, I am gifting myself to you, I don't want any dowry, please accept me as your wife. Get it? If someone comes and says that to the Prophet ﷺ, he was allowed to. This was, specific, this was a specific provision for him. That if a, ummati, a lady from the Ummah of Rasulullah comes and says, Ya Rasulullah, I want to be in your, be your wife. But I don't need a wife. No, but I, please, I want to be because I want to have the honor of being your wife in Jannah and dunya and akhirah. So if she hands herself over and does not want even to take any dowry, then this is exclusively permissible for the Prophet ﷺ, apart from the believing men. Meaning for the believing men, this is not allowed. For believers, you cannot have someone who's infatuated with you and says, I want to get married to you without any dowry. Not allowed. Right? There is mahar as part of it. We know well the limits that we have decreed for them as to the status they are to keep regarding their wives and those whom their hands may rightfully attain to. This is sanctioned for you, O Prophet ﷺ, so that there shall be no undue constraint upon you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that this type of provisions that Allah has made for Rasulullah ﷺ uh, is out of care for Rasulullah ﷺ so that Rasulullah ﷺ does not have any haraj, does not suffer any constraints. 
Allah wants to make Rasulullah feel comfortable. So he says, I made rules relaxed for you compared to the rest of the ummah. But this is not for an average person. This is the person who has reached the pinnacle of purity, the pinnacle of perfection, the one who has, who has achieved such a nafs, such a soul that is completely 100% bright and pure. That he will never, there's no, there's no, there is no chance of it being tainted with darkness. No chance of him, you know, slipping and falling. He's ma'asum, protected from Allah Azza wa Jal. And so that's why these provisions are being made for him. Turji man tasha, O Prophet ﷺ, as for your due visitations to your wives, meaning the way you divide up the days and the nights, the way you spend with each one. You may now delay whichever of them you wish, and you may yourself receive whomsoever of them you wish. And should you sooner seek out whom of the, whomever of them you have deferred, then no blame is there to be upon you. Knowing that this sanction is from Allah is more likely to bring joy to their eyes when your wives see you, so that, so that they may not grieve and that, they may, and, and that they might all of them be content with the time that you can give to them. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows well what is in your human hearts, causing men and women to incline towards one another. And ever is Allah all-knowing, most forbearing. I'll get to the tafsir as well. I'm just doing the translation over here. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet that in terms of how you divide up the days and the nights, I'm giving you the option. You may choose to spend extra by one and less by the other. You may choose to say to someone, okay, I'm going to forego, I'm not going to come this week and, or to visit you. But then later on you change your mind and you want to go, that's completely fine. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave this permission to Rasulullah But did Rasulullah use that? No, he did. Right? He made sure he was always the most just. Even though he had full authority, he would actually go ahead and... If he ever, like for example, towards the end of his life, he wanted to spend time with Aisha Dlana. So then he actually specifically asked permission. And eventually he passed away in her house. After taking permission, permission was granted to, be, to stay at her house. Because you know, sometimes you're more comfortable, obviously, you know, so the, the host knows your needs, you're sick. Now, Maradul Wafat, the final moments, Nabi Sallallahu was going through so much difficulty. And Aisha Dlana was very close, and the connection was there. So he wanted someone to be able to understand. Understand him. لا يحل لك النساء. Women beyond this decree are not lawful to you, Ya Rasulullah. Beyond what you have already married, women beyond this decree are not lawful for you, O Prophet ﷺ. Nor may you replace those who are now your wives with any other women as wives. So you have now nine. You cannot say, okay, let me divorce you and get another one. No, these are set till you pass away. These are your wives set. ولو أعجبك حسنهن, even if their beauty pleases you. إِلَّا مَا مَلَكَتْ يَمِينُكَ Except for you, uh, accept, accepted for you are women that your, your hand may rightfully attain to. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ رَقِيبًا And ever is Allah vigilant over all things. So we'll, we'll try to cover till here and then inshallah if, if we have time then we'll move on to the next part which is now the etiquettes, etiquettes of deen, etiquettes of a walima, etiquettes with Rasulullah and some general beautiful etiquette that we can inculcate within our, with our own lives. So, you know, students who are here, make sure like, you know, just like in class, I always encourage you to take notes. Additionally as well, you can definitely pick up the Mus'haf, follow along, connect yourself with the Qur'an, and, you know, take notes as much as possible. We are um, on ayah, with the, where I started from is ayah 49. Ayah 49 of Surah Al-Ahzab.
So here Allah Azza wa Jal first of all says, O oh believers, when you marry believing women and then you give talaq before you become intimate with them, then you don't have to have iddah. My brothers and sisters, let's speak about nikah and talaq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made marriage really seriously a very sacred thing. Just like uh, they are Subhanallah. Just the, 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 uh, the aspect of intimacy, right? The allow, being it allowed, yani a man and a woman getting together. And this aspect of connection is something in our deen which is sacred. Meaning a person cannot cross over that path without a proper Islamic way. For example, when we slaughter and when we eat meat, you cannot just go kill an animal. Not permissible. Allah says, حُرِبَنْتَ عَلَيْكُ الْمَيْتَةِ وَالدَّمِ وَلَحْمَ الْخِنْزِيرِ وَمَا أَوْهِلَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ وَالْمُنْخَنِقَةِ وَالْمَوْقُوذَةِ وَالْمُتَرَدِّيَةِ وَالنَّطِيحَةِ وَمَا أَكَلَ سَبْعُ إِلَّا مَا ذَكَّيْتُمْ All of these types of meat are all haram. In Surah Ma'idah. An animal that is crushed. An animal that's been run over. Right? An animal that's just been uh, laying dead, naturally died. An animal that another predatory animal attacked. All of these things are not permissible. An animal that's been choked. All haram. Uh, flesh of meat of a swine, pig, in any case is haram. That's all mentioned here. Illa ma except only when you do tazkiyah. When you say bismillah, bismillah Allahu Akbar, and you slaughter the animal in an appropriate manner, only then will the animal become halal. You got it? Why is that? Because you're taking a life. It's sacred life. Life is sacred. A life of a sheep or a goat or a cow. It's a life. It's a living thing. You cannot just randomly kill it and eat it. It has to be done in a proper manner. And the only way it will be allowed for you to eat from that is how? If you take Allah's name, in the name of Allah, the one who created you and the one who created me, and the one who has made you subjugated for me, I take Allah's name and slaughter you. Only that way it's permissible. I want you to understand the concept of udhya. Whenever we eat, it's something to think about. It's a living animal, my friends. There was a small video, I don't know how, probably authentic. Allah knows best. It was circulated during Eid days of, a, I guess, Pakistan. A father is taking his little, you know, cute little sheep or goat to slaughter it. Did you all see that? And he was grabbing the goat or the sheep to slaughter it. And literally all his little kids, they're screaming and crying. Right? And they're trying to pull the animal away from the dad. He said, this is Qurbani right here. This is the true udhaya. Because the, the animal stayed with them for, you know, for probably six months or two months or even one. It's a cute little animal. And the children began to love the animal. Now it's seriously so painful. Like they're crying. That, yeah, you know, don't kill it. And so that's where you understand. Every single time you eat a burger, we all love burgers. But what's going into that? A life is being lost. A living mother is, you know, is dead. A father is dead. He has got kids. Think about that. We don't ever think about our burgers like that. How can you be allowed to do something like that? You shouldn't be. The only reason you're allowed to is because you're doing it in the name of Allah who has made that permissible. You're doing it in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has made you ashraful makhluqat, the best of Allah's creation. You're doing that only because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed you to, and was served, who made all of these animals and these makhluqat subjugated to your service. And how should you make you feel? How should it make you feel that there's living animals are dying to serve my appetite? 
All I got to do is put my head down in front of the Lord. All I got to do is stay away from haram. And Allah is allowing me to take the lives of living things so that I can satisfy my appetite. Otherwise, why is it a veggie burger? No meat burger and it doesn't work? It'll work. But for, to fulfill our desire, Allah Azza wa has made all this allowed. What does He want from us? He wants us to humble ourselves in front of Him. That I'm ready to do all of this for you. I've created this dunya. I've created this dunya for you and I've created you for me. I've created the dunya for you and I've created you for me. So don't run after the dunya because the dunya is to run after you. That's your servant. You're not its servant. You're my servant. The dunya is your servant. You don't become the servant of the dunya. You are Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's servant and the dunya is your servant. If a Muslim understands that, his life will be successful. A human understands that. So just like the permissibility of, meat, of, of this meat comes in through udhiyah. Then what happens? Similarly, take, you know, breaking this barrier between a male and a female. That cannot be done without a sacred entry. And that is in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To touch a female or a male to touch a male, haram. To look at each other, haram. To speak in seclusion, haram. Right? To look at with lust, haram. All of that is haram. The only way to now cross over that barrier and to, you know, break that wall is in an Islamic manner through the, through the institution of nikah. That's what we speak about nikah being sacred in our deen. That without that, even a simple glance is haram with lust. And then later on how it becomes not only halal, but what Nabi said, Intimacy between husband and wife, what did he say? It's rewarding. There's ajr for it. And the companion said, Ya Rasulullah, a person is fulfilling his need. How could that be rewarding? That's just like a natural biological need. How would you get hasanat for this? And the Prophet responded, had, If he had not done it through the halal manner, and he had done it through the haram manner, would he not get sin for it? Of course he would. Well, if he's going to get sin through that, then the opposite is also true. That when you do it through the halal manner, you'll get reward for it. Nabi is talking about sadaqah, of putting a morsel of food into the spouse's mouth, the wife's mouth, right? Feeding her. A sadaqah. And that this is small aspects of trying to earn each other's love is rewarding. All of those things that tell us that what happens, that when nikah happens, a whole huge door opens up. It's like a key that will make it permissible. Alright, so without that, entry into that realm is completely haram. So if we understand that, my dear friends, then we understand that nikah is not a mere cultural thing. Instead it is what? A religious thing. Although we make it so much more cultural than religious. All aspects, like our, our salah, what we just prayed maghrib together, that's religious. Not culture in there, there's religion, deen. So our marriages similarly must be according to the deen, not culture. Of 99% of what happens, in our marriages, in no, whatever background you're coming from, so much of it is just added cultural baggage in there that makes it marriage much more challenging, much more difficult, much more expensive. And the deeny aspects of it, which take you know, two minutes to do, are left. Because why? We have to fulfill all of these external factors. Mufti bin Haj gave a talk here in Juma. You know, if you haven't heard it, do listen to it on the, on the, on the aspect of 
of zina becoming so common because nikah has been made difficult. Why has it been made difficult? Because of all of these cultural norms that we have added in there. And it made it part and parcel of nikah. So just like <clears throat> Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَكَيْفَ تَأْخُذُونَهُ How do you, how can you take your dowry back in Surah Al-Nisa? Allah says, how can you take the dowry back after being intimate with one another and now you're parting ways? You cannot take the gifts back. He's given her a gift, she's given him a gift, move on. Gifts, genuine gifts. Don't demand those gifts back. What is this? This is not a use and throw thing. What, is, what are you talking about? Well, you didn't rent him or her. It was an actual marriage. It didn't work out. Okay. But you don't demand that, no, I want this back and that back. Allah says, how can you take it back? When one of you was, when you were with one another, when you were so close, something which would be completely haram, you were allowed to do because you were married. Now you are separating, how can you demand that back? And you had taken a very strong oath and a very strong, you had made a very strong covenant with one another. Allah calls it mithaqan ghalidha. What's mithaq? Covenant. Ghalidha, very strong. What is mithaqan ghalidha referring to? Marriage. That marriage is a very strong covenant of loyalty, love, and respect to your spouse. That's what it is. Mithaqan ghalidha. It's not just you know, dating. It's not just like a random, you know, type of relationships that today, there's no relationship. It's all about use and throw. Both sides. Both sides. Uh, treating each other like toilet paper. But the deen doesn't say that. The deen says this is, this relationship is sacred. It's beautiful. It's called mithaqan ghalidha. A very strong oath that you have made with one another. So now after, let's say someone gets married, to, to give talaq to, one, to, uh, to her, or she gets divorced, and then right after the next day she marries someone else. What happens? It is taking this honored oath lightly. It's taking this honored covenant lightly. Oh, it didn't work here? Tomorrow, cello, let's try someone else. That's not what a lady is. She is untouchable. Looking at her shape and shakal is haram. If it creates lust. Looking in her direction is not permissible. Imam Ghazali says, do not even look at the sheet, the shawl of a lady. Addressing men. He mentioned so many different etiquettes. It's something definitely worth a read. In Ihyal Ulum of Imam Ghazali, to read that section where he speaks about protecting the gays from haram. It's amazing. Four or five pages there of Ihyal Ulum. And to what extent it's so important to protect our gays. In the, in the, and especially in today's world. So important. Where all these Messiah and issues start up. You will be shocked where it starts from. Where it starts from. But if you follow the, the, the Sharia and you completely guard your gaze from that, you won't even fall into that problem. So this is who she is. She's this genuine princess that is untouchable. Unless you go through this long process of making it halal. Long I mean, I'm not saying the nikah takes long, but I'm trying to say you have to go through the process of, of nikah to make her accessible. Otherwise, you are barred from even looking at her. So now, if it didn't work out, she, can't, she, should, she should not be made to feel that she's not accessible to the next guy. Divorce today, marry tomorrow. You understand that? So oh, it didn't work out, that's the next person. No. Now she's going to remain untouchable for the next many months. Because this, uh, this connection between a male and a female, and her connection with a male is very sacred. 
Subhanallah, I want you to start thinking idda from this manner. What idda is about. Beyond that, of course, the idda is to ensure that there is no khalat malat, no mixing in the lineage of the child. If there's, if, if there's a child, we don't know. So give it some time to ensure that she is not expecting. Otherwise, if she is and another person gets married, then that's a, that's a problem. Whose child is it? So to istiba'u rahim, to make sure the, the um, uh, womb is clean, that is why we have to wait. So talaq has, I'm sorry, nikah has ijab, proposal, qubul, acceptance, mahar, dowry, wali, guardian, shuhud, witnesses. Okay? And then of course you have the khutbatun nikah, which is sunnah. All of that. If any of these aspects are missing, then it's be incomplete or not. It's not going to happen. And so similarly, the separation of it also has a protocol. You need to just, you know, just shoot it. There's a proper sunnah method. There's a proper sunnah method of doing it. So just like you have a nikah form and you have a certificate, similarly for talaq, a person, you know, they are, there's actually legal documents that a person actually act, signs off on a divorce. It needs to be done in a respectful manner. My dear brothers and sisters, we have to learn the etiquettes of nikah and we have to learn the etiquettes of divorce. We have to learn the fiqh of marriage and we have to learn the fiqh of divorce. SubhanAllah, our deen is so beautiful. Abu Darda, is it? Radiallahu an was standing up, was sitting down and relieving himself. And the non-Muslims of Mecca saw him and they started making fun of him because he was sitting down and relieving himself. And they said, look at this person. He is sitting down and urinating the way a female does. Meaning the men of that time, like the, the, the jahil men of today would stand and urinate. Similarly, the jahil men of that time, jahiliya, they would stand and urinate. So then... He, he said that our, the Prophet ﷺ, he came to us not just as a prophet or as a father, whatever, you know, a spiritual father. He came to us to teach us everything. The Prophet ﷺ taught us every single thing, including how to relieve ourselves. Yeah, my Nabi taught me everything, even how to go to the bathroom. He taught us how, and then he explained. He taught us that when you're relieving ourselves, we don't face the qibla. Don't keep your back to the qibla, don't face the qibla. Use, uh, you know, equivalent of toilet paper at that time, with, you know, dela, you call it. Right? A piece of rock to relieve, to clean yourself after. The Prophet emphasized the using of water if, if available. Right? The Prophet also taught us how to sit and relieve ourselves. So if Rasulullah taught the ummah how to relieve, him, relieve themselves in the bathroom, then what about marriage and divorce? Everything's got to be done with etiquette. It's got to be done in a nice manner. Really, that's what it comes down to. And so the, the Muslim today is gone. This aspect of our deen is zero. We're crying about how many people show up for Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Nasha. We're crying about how many people, you know, are paying their zakah. We need to start crying about the m greater number of people who have no etiquette in their deen. We have no, absolutely no conscientiousness of taqwa when it comes to the relationships with one another, especially between spouses. Especially when things go south. When things start going bad, 
How to handle that, we, we have no, no deen. Everyone, even the person who's leading the prayer, or the one who's in the front row, he forgets also. And the female who's also leading the salah, I mean, sorry, leading the programs and doing the durus and whatnot, she also forgets. When it comes to, when things go nasty, then everyone forgets the deen. And that's, that's absolutely not acceptable. Because Islam is not about just a prayer. It's about all aspects of it. So what the Qur'an is saying is that when you choose to separate after, before consummating the marriage, then you don't have to have a waiting period. But still, make sure that you give something as a gift. My brothers and sisters, we are suffering a pandemic of divorce. Pandemic. And, and I think this is one of the th three major issues amongst many. I'm just three that comes to my mind that I'm seeing that shaitan is working overtime on to destroy the ummah and to send us to hellfire. His, his effort is. Obviously, his number one goal, is if he's successful, is to push people away from Islam, make them atheists. And he's very successful at that nowadays. So many people left and right are leaving the fold of Islam. So many people are doubting Islam. Too many. Every week, I have more stories to add. Every week. And so, that's one. Number two is another major crisis is the LGBTQ movement that I've sp spoken about many times in this dars here, which is no longer an issue of a right or wrong, zina and haram, halal. No, it's an issue of iman and kufr. Yeah, you remember that? We talked about this, anyone remember? Because, why is it an issue of Iman and Kufr? Because now, it's not simply like I just said right now. It's not simply, oh, I want to get married to a non-Muslim man. Okay. No, but I want you to make it permissible. You're not going to make it permissible? That's how I'm going to leave Islam. If someone says, I want to, Allah forbid, I want to commit zina, make it permissible, I'm going to leave Islam. Does that happen usually? No. He's doing their own haram, but he's not trying to say make it permissible. When it comes to this issue, this issue of LGBT has been happening from thousands and thousands of years. It's not a new phenomenon. What's a new phenomenon is to make it mainstream and to force Islam to accept it as legal and halal. That's the issue. If someone's got this sickness and you know, he's, he or she's got same gender attraction and doing these type of things, Allah kareem, they need to make tawbah and ask forgiveness from Allah and ask Allah to get them out of that mess. They're still a Muslim. The problem here is to force Islam to accept that and to make that permissible. And to say, if Islam is not willing to change it itself, and if my imam is not willing to change the deen, then I'm, I am signing out. That's what's happening today. That people are willing to leave the deen because of this. And our school system, just a local musalli told me, kindergarten, oh, second grade, first grade, he said, he just was asking me, mashallah, what should I do? Just this last week, showed me a picture of the classroom of one, our local school here with a huge... You know, rainbow flag, massive one, bigger than the American flag. Huge. I'm talking about like eight feet by two feet, eight feet by three feet, hanging in the classroom. I said, when should we start speaking? I mean, this is crazy, second grade. And just right before I came here, I saw a message from a scholar. He was saying, a 10-year-old girl, her parents are reaching out to the imam. What should we do? Because uh, my, my, uh, she had a meeting with the counselor. 10-year-old, what is that? Fourth grade, fifth grade? And the counselor said, you know, uh, she was just noticing that the changes in other girls, that people are becoming baliq, they're be reaching closer to puberty and stuff like that. So, oh, if you're noticing that, either you're a boy or either you are, you know, a lesbian. 
Plus, you have to choose one of the two. This is being fed into the minds of the people. The fact that you notice other girls becoming baligh, that means you're one of these two. It's crazy in the masjid, Micah, I have to say things like this. But this is happening in every single home. So forgive me for having to say that because your, your six-year-old and eight-year-old already knows what I'm talking about. 20 years ago, I would think that I'll die, but I won't say these words on a mic in a masjid. Right? We wouldn't even, even utter it while in privacy. We, private talking, we would not, we would just use a, you know, a letter or something like that. But now it's become such a big issue that it has to be addressed from the masjid, from the podium, on how to handle these type of things. So the schooling system that we're all part of, all of us are part of, our children are, it is on course to indoctrinate our young men and women and little young children rather, that this is the way. You have to choose and you have to be willing to accept that, that this is part of your deen. And if it's not, then that's a wrong deen. So the attack on our deen from the liberal left, which is not, I need, now did you see the right movement, even Christians as well, have slowly begun to, or actually not slowly, but at a very fast pace they begin to start becoming more accepting. Even the church has announced a lot of their changes and amends to this. Because the, the shaitanic, satanic, you know, power on the other end to promote this is, is unbelievable. The only one who can get saved is the one who Allah Azawajal saves. This battle that we're, we're up against is huge, like none other that we have seen. Remember, it's not the issue of just one specific act. It's an issue of iman and kufr. I want you all to understand that. Because when it comes to zina, it's not an issue of iman and kufr. Do you understand that? Because people are not trying to make that permissible. They're not trying to force the imams in the Quran to make it permissible. But look at how shaitan works. He's taking this aspect and he's saying that you have to change the deen to allow it and make it acceptable. And if the deen doesn't allow it, then you have to say, I'm no longer part of this deen. So this is the number two attack of shaitan, iblis is through this issue. Third issue is divorce. The prevalence of divorce, as Nabi Sallallahu has said in the uh, in hadith from the signs of the hour. Achha, everything is by the way is in the signs of the hour. Everything, all three of these things. A person will wake up as a believer, go to bed as a disbeliever. Go to bed as a disbeliever, wake up as a believer. All of those thousands who are, who are, who are, who are running out of Afghanistan right now. What's going to happen to the deen? You think about it. Or, you know, the thousands who are jumping onto planes and being brought into various parts of the world. What's going to happen to the deen? What did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say? He'll wake up. If someone says, yeah, come on, but are you ready to renounce Islam? I just read in that newspaper. They were coming with one suitcase. Nothing. Everything else they're leaving behind. What did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say? You wake up as a believer, you will go to bed as a disbeliever. Why? He will sell his deen for a little bit of the dunya. A little bit. A ticket to America? Anything, man. Relocated to UK? Anything. Whatever. I will say I'm, I'm suffering. Who's actually oppressing you? Say, no, I'm suffering. I'll do anything. I will say anything you want me to say. Just get me, out, get me to the West. Gee, West, you think they don't understand this? Sometimes you think, yeah, West are getting fooled. <laughs> They're not getting fooled. They have so much aqal. They obviously know, you know that it seems like they're being manipulated. No, deep down it's obviously let these people come. And they'll leave their deen when they come. I was just in, in the West Coast and I was speaking to a physician who was just crying about the patients he sees, Muslim patients. He says, I come home so late every night. He said, because I can't see a Muslim patient come into my office and the type of kufri stuff they say. And he says, subhanAllah, you know, I try to give them the, you know, a da'wat 
and it ends up coming like home at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night because just giving da'wah to the Muslim patients, young men from the Muslim countries who come and settled out there. And he was telling me, he said, Alhamdulillah, when I do surgery, procedures, always before in front of the patient, I'll say, Bismillah. And you know, Allah man tashafi, la shifa illa shifa, shifa illa yagadiru saqama. And he said, I read all the du'as. And he said, every non-Muslim is so appreciative. Wow. Thank you for starting your, the surgery procedure with a prayer. That's so beautiful. And he said, who are the ones whose face is getting red, who's getting upset? Is the Muslim interns. The Muslims doing residency or the Muslim, you know, guys who are shadowing him. He said, they're blushing like, what's wrong with this dude, man? The non-Muslim is like, oh man, that's so nice. That's so beautiful of you. And the Muslim kid or girl is the one who says, that, what's wrong with this guy? So that has been prophesied. What's another thing? The Prophet ﷺ talked about women fulfilling the needs with women, men with, their, with men. This is prophesized men in the signs of the hour that this is what's going to happen. Ihtikak. Men and women. Men with men, women with women. And then the third thing that Nabi ﷺ said was, Yakthiru talaq. Talaq will become very common. He said many, many things amongst the signs of the hour. But these are three major things that I'm seeing every day. Every single day. Every day. Every day. How can I explain that to you? Every day these three things I'm seeing. And we all need to be aware of that. This is part of the Dajjali era. This is all part of the... the, the when divorce happens, then the dini tarbiyah of the kids is gone. It's already so difficult to raise our kids based on what I just shared with you. What's happening in the school system. The manipulation that's starting in second... In, not second grade, kindergarten. <coughs> the manipulation is starting from such a young age. It's so hard for mom and dad who love and care and take care of the kid to raise them and protect the child from this filth. Now, when the husband and wife are fighting with each other and don't want to talk to each other, and he says, and then are trying to use the child as a, uh, you know, as a collateral and put in care, what else? What is going to happen to the dean of this child? He doesn't need much to, uh, to mislead him. So being raised in a single mother, a single parent childhood, that is not the natural way to do things. If it was natural, then Allah wouldn't have made this whole marriage aspect there. Every mother, every father, you know, everyone would just be raised their kids on their own. Why did Allah <coughs> force us to bring come together to have a child? The natural way is to have mom and dad. So this is a very big issue that we're, we're facing in the community. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save you and I all from suffering these three and any of the other challenges that we're saying. So now, how do you part ways when you have to part ways? <coughs> the way to part ways is, the Quran says, jamila." It means to separate in an amicable, beautiful manner. This reminds me of the hadith. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْإِحْسَانَ فِي كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Allah loves ihsan and perfection and goodness in everything. Yes? Allah loves ihsan and goodness in everything. And then Nabi said, فَإِذَا قَتَلْتُمْ فَأَحْسِنُوا وَإِذَا ذَبَحْتُمْ So when you take a life, do it properly. Do it with ihsan. When you kill someone, executed by the king, by the judge, by the court, you have to do it in a clean manner. Even in battle, do it in a clean manner. As clean as you can get. No torture, right? No thing. If it's, if it's capital punishment is being met out, it has to be done in a ahsinu ihsan in it. As least pain as possible. وَإِذَا ذَبَحْتُمْ 
and when you're sacrificing an animal and taking its life. Then also do ihsan in it. We know the, the sunnah of it. Give water from beforehand. Sharpen the knife beforehand. Do not allow the animal to see another animal dying. Do not allow the animal to smell blood. Huh? Make sure it's well fed. Face it towards the qibla. Keep it away from anything that would cause it distress. Why do you have to sharpen the knife? So that it's quick and swift. So if taking the life is supposed to be done swiftly, then subhanAllah, you understand divorce. It's not worse than that. There's nothing worse than dying in terms of, you know what I mean? She can get married, he can get married. Why does it have to be the end of the world? It's never supposed to be the end of the world. Divorce also supposed to be done in a beautiful manner. That's the beauty of our deen, subhanAllah. You have to, if, you didn't, if you just didn't get along, okay. Inshallah, you'll find someone else. Allah Azza wa Jal Himself says, "In yurida islahin wafiqillahu bainahuma." If if they both want islah, if the husband and wife both want rectification, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will bring them together. Yuafiqillahu bainahuma. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will bring them together. And if it didn't work out, then Inshallah, asa antakar washiya. Sometimes you dislike something, but it's actually better for you. And sometimes you like something, it's not good for you. So how should we say what about our ex if it happens? Now you just say, but you just talk about divorce being bad. Yes, it is. Abghadul halali at talaq. The most despicable halal thing in the sight of Allah is divorce. The most despicable, the most hated halal thing is divorce. What's, what is divorce? Like amputation. Sometimes you have to amputate the leg. Islamically, it will be allowed. It's a need. Gangrene, some other issue happen. You have to cut it out. What are you going to do? But is that something? Huh? I got a sprain. I tore my ACL. Bring the saw. All the youth here, every other youth is sitting on a chair. It's crazy what the type of dunya we're living in. Half of the youth sitting on chairs. In class, in salah. Everyone. This is ajib zamana. You know, like literally go look at any masjid. How many youth? It's crazy. There's no war. There's no, they're not doing anything beneficial. To even, you know, do anything. And they just sit there, breaking their legs left and right in the name of basketball. <laughs> I don't know how it's permissible. For, is that really worth that one game that you're deprived of sajda for the next four months? Think about that. Just to play one basketball game. You get deprived of putting your head down in, in front of Allah for four months, six months, eight months. Is that worth it? Sports is great for the sake of exercise. But this is a message to all those youth who are continuously getting injured. Like ask yourself, what are you getting out of it? Do you understand the value of putting your head in sujood in front of Allah? Or you don't care about that? Like that doesn't mean anything that for the next eight, six months, you're not able to stand and pray salah like the rest. You can't put your head down in front of Allah Azza wa Jal. That should really make us think, why are we doing this to ourselves? How could that be something that is so necessary that it would allow us to be deprived of, of a proper salah? Kabi kabi, once in a while accident happens unintentional, fine. But we have a whole generation that is now going through surgery. Yeah? Sayyidina, am I right? A whole generation of young men. Everyone is saying that I got this physical injury and that, and I need to use rest against the wall. I need to, you know, sit on the floor. I need to sit on the chair. And that's just what's, what's continuously, subhanAllah, going on. What was I saying? Salah and Jamila. So, talaq is permissible. 
Ah, that's what I was saying. It's like amputating the leg. It's, a, it's the last thing you want to do, but it's permissible if you have to do it. Okay? So if you have to do it, then do it nice manner. So how should a person speak about his ex or her ex? Don't speak about it. If someone says, what happened? The nice word is, لم يكن, you know, لم يكن, يعني لم تكن هي نصيبي. She was not meant for me. ميرا نصيبني لكواتا. It wasn't written, it wasn't destined for me. It wasn't destined. Is that incorrect? That is exactly the correct answer. It was not written for me. He was not written for me, she was not written for me. And that's it. Oh, what happened? Well, you don't need to know what happened. Let's start focusing on the next step of life, which is try to find another spouse. And then you have these people who end up after getting divorced, say, I'm never going to get married again. That is also incorrect. That is not the right way. You know? Um, of dealing with, even if, if, it ends, if a person gets up in a divorce, who he or she, I always tell people some of them have gone through multiple divorces, unfortunately. I say, no problem. You know, you slip and fall, slip and fall. Inshallah, you keep on, you know, this is an imtihan for you. This is an imtihan for you. I know this is, but you can't give up. You can't give up. Because if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it because it's the sunnah of the Prophet Do it because it's the sunnah of the prophets, all of them. And do it because it is the preservation and protection of your deen. Even though you say, I don't feel like it. I'm tired, bhai, I'm tired. And I've met many people who said, I'm done. I'm tired. But we need to have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's treasures. Just because one did not work out, that doesn't mean it's the end. And the number of divorced people now is increasing more and more. That's why I'm speaking about this now. I make, that's why when I make dua regularly in my, my duas, say, Allah, all those who are unmarried, make them easy for them to get married. Now I make specific dua for divorced people. Because it seems that that's almost becoming like half of our community. SubhanAllah. Unfortunately, what people are doing now is at the time of divorce, they, and for the next 10 years, they have this vendetta against their ex. And all day and all night, they use their WhatsApp, their text, and their social media to blast and, and speak ill and talk about the worst hidden secrets. Like just think about that. This was something. If you were married, you would never allow your own parents to know this. This is between you and your spouse. A very sacred relationship. How could you forget all about that? And just now start speaking about the most intimate secrets of you and your ex to the world. Why? This is not the deen. So we who are listening here need to also put our foot down. When someone starts speaking about their ex, we say, that's it. I don't need, I'm not going to listen. I refuse to listen. I refuse to listen to this ghibah, to this backbiting, to this filth. And if we create a mizaj where we don't speak about each other, then inshallah the chances of all of these divorced couples finding someone else will also be good. But if we start throwing out garbage against one another, false accusations, then that's gonna create so much more facade in our community. So many more broken hearts, so many bigger problems, and it'll be harder for people to get married. So this is something I, I really wish that we all take to heart because people are suffering. Another aspect of this here is that at the time of divorce and the time of marriage, Allah is watching you to what degree you follow the deen. We see that people at the time of divorce in this country, there are certain rules and laws that we have in this because of the civil marriage and civil divorce that favor one side or the other. 
and more than, more than most of the time favoring, for example, the women. So the dean says that when you part ways, a person takes, takes away from the marriage what they brought into it. So you brought $100,000 to the marriage, you brought a million. Okay, khalas, you don't take each other's. Everyone goes their own way. Whatever the wife earns solely belongs to her. Even in marriage, and definitely, of course, after divorce. All the expenses, 100% of her expenses now, you know, in terms of her food, her clothing, her house, all responsibility, you know, those basic things are uh, the husband will be taken care of. If she wants to, on top of that, go work for her sake, wants to support her parents, her siblings, or whatever, that's, that's a different story. But the husband doesn't have a right for that. To take, put his hands on that. To say, no, I need you to pay for the rent. I need you to pay for the, you know, the, 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 the expenses using her money. But when they part ways, they need to also follow the deen. But that doesn't happen anymore. So now, what doesn't happen? You have overseas in India, Pakistan, and other parts of the world where there's no laws like that probably. You'll see undue oppression of the men on the women after divorce. Actually, they won't even divorce them. They say, nay, I don't want to give talaq. That's zulm. Zulm. If she doesn't want to stay with you, you don't want to stay with her, then khalas, move on. Why do you make her... You know, why do you, why do you imprison her like that? So that's zulm. And many other types of zulm that men do on women. And similarly for women to say, I'm going to use what the sharia says in terms of my rights, and then I'm going to use the law of the land to also say 50% or 40% of all my husband's assets now belong to me. Which is now you know, normal in America. So if someone non-Muslim says that, fine. But for a Muslim who is practicing the deen, and who follows Islam properly, religiously, to demand that, you wonder, truly, have we, are we true servants of Allah, or are we servants of our hawa, of our desires? When it suits us, we follow Islam. When it doesn't suit us, it doesn't, we don't follow Islam. And this goes for both men and women. So you hear sad stories. I hear both sides of women who are so oppressed. I'm like, Ya Allah, what's wrong with these men? Then I hear about men who are so oppressed. I say, what's wrong with the women? Because there's no taqwa, there's no fear of Allah. When the fear of Allah is there, that's why the three ayats that we recite during marriage all are about taqwa. All three verses that we recite during the nikah are what? About taqwa. Because it's taqwa is the only thing that's going to ensure the husband and the wife will control their emotions and their anger and will say, yes, I want to do this, I want to say this. I fear Allah. I'm not going to. Even if she oppresses me, even if he oppresses me, I'm not going to do tit for tat. Because there's a day when you and I are going to stand in front of Allah in court. And I want to make sure I have a clean record that day. You want to ruin it here? That's up to you. You're going to pay. Remember that. <laughs> Everyone's got to pay. Everyone's got to pay. There's even a goat, a horned goat that hits a non-horned goat, as a hadith of Bukhari says, will be given life, will be brought back to life on the day of judgment. And the non-horned goat will be set or told that here you go, you got horns now, go hit this other one. And as soon as he does that, Allah says, Kunu taraba. Go become soil and you're done. Dust, finish. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Right? It will be given, it will given life again and it will get an opportunity to avenge itself and then it will be turned into dust. I mean, if you're going to turn into dust anyway, what's the point? Nope. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to ensure there's 100% justice. And the world is not the place for that justice. That's akhirah. So if that's going to happen between goats, 
You think it's not going to happen between a husband and a wife? Between someone and their ex? Ittaqullah. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And do not forget the deen when things get nasty. Remember, even no matter how you know, horrible the other person is acting, as Mulana Choksi's statement, I always say, he would say, Bhai, mazloom banna hai to ban jai, zalim kabhi mat bano. If you end up becoming oppressed, go ahead and become an oppressed person, but never become an oppressor, because if you become an oppressor, you're gonna have to pay a very, very hefty fine in the akhirah. Very hefty fine. So every one of us should have this clean conscience when we go to sleep at night. Whether we are married, inshallah, or we unfortunately are not married in terms of, you know, we had a bad, we had a difficult marriage and we're separated. We should go to sleep knowing that, alhamdulillah, if I die tonight, I know he or she can't hold me accountable in court. Every single night, you need to sleep with that. That have you, it's not just between husband and wife, of course, between parents and children, between siblings, between everyone. We need to have this clear conscience that I, alhamdulillah, have not done anything which I know I can be held accountable for. My brothers, this is deen. No one thinks this is deen, but this is the deen. That's why you're seeing the most righteous, pious people when it comes to divorce are losing their whole deen. That's where the imtihan is. That's where the test is. So those of you who are not married, listen attentively to all what I'm saying so that we don't fall into these pitfalls. And those who are married, as we seek Allah's protection from being tested through divorce, remember also this aspect of making sure that our spouse cannot point fingers at us on the Day of Judgment. Because if they can, we're going to be in big trouble. The next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the, the, the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah had given, given Rasulullah had given them an option. You want to choose me or you want to choose the dunya? You remember, let's go back to the final verses of the 21st Jews. The last verse is there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In kuntunat ya ayyuhan nabiyu qul li azwajika in kuntunat turidna al-hayata dunya wa zinataha fata'alin umatti'ukunna wa sarrihkunna sarahan jameela. O wives of the Prophet ﷺ, if you want dunya, then tell Rasulullah is telling, Allah is telling Rasulullah tell them ta'alina ajaw, come. I'll give you the dunya and salam alaikum, go. I can't give you more money. I don't have more money. I can't give you a more luxurious life than I'm giving you right now. If, you, if that's what you really want, then you have to choose that over me, and I will let you go. But if you want to stay with me, then you have to accept what I, whatever Allah has given me. And you cannot be making unnecessary demands and ask me to indulge myself in collecting material things to give it to you, because I have a big work in front of me. I can't sit there and fulfill every desire of yours. So Allah Azza wa now is, is mentioning that those wives who, Allah, who, who have chosen you over the dunya, Allah, is going, Allah has made them halal for you. And these are the amazing women who accepted to stay with you. Okay. Those who have made hijrah, meaning, oh, oh Rasulullah, those who have not made hijrah, you cannot get married to them. Those women who have not made hijrah. Allah says in Surah Al-Anfal, Those who believe but did not make hijrah, you have no opportunity, you have no uh, uh, you know, opportunity for the, uh, to get married to them until they, they migrate. Why is that? Because the proof is in the pudding. If you are a true follower of Rasulullah then where is your fasting? You can't just say, I love Allah and His Rasul. Prove it! 
You prove it through fasting. You prove it through zakat. You prove it through salah. And he, you prove it to guarding your gaze from haram. This is how you prove your loyalty to Allah and the fact that you're Muslim. And similarly, you have to prove it through hijrah. If there's no hijrah, then don't say, Oh, I love you, Ya Rasulullah. I love you, Ya Allah. Ah, it doesn't work. Prove it. Right? Because iman without, without the pudding, or sorry, without the proof, is useless. It doesn't mean anything. This is just haba' manthura. It's just talk. It's just cheap talk. What is required is that there needs to be mawqif. What is mawqif? You got to take a stand. Right? And this is, what we, this is the era we're in. Iman requires us to take a stand on issues. If you be wishy-washy and you don't take a stand, then your iman is non-existent. You want to curse Allah? You want to curse the Prophet? Yeah, okay, so do whatever you want. I'm going to sit here and listen to all this trash. Right? Where is your stand? Why are you not taking a stand? Someone said we have to change the deen. Someone's attacking the ulama over there. Someone's attacking the mufassirun. And everything is just quiet. We're falling into haram. Every single thing. Anything about Islam is not, iman is not holding us back from any haram. Then my dear brothers, what iman is this? Where is this iman? Please show me. And you remember that example I gave of that tattooer? That person went to go get a tattoo? And mashallah, every week we have new, new people coming in, right? This is so... You can repeat some stories. That a per person who, who, who went to go get a tattoo, and he said, what, what, what do you want? He said, I want a lion. He said, ask him to tattoo a lion on his. Not to say tattoo is halal. This is a story, guys. Right? So, <laughs> so the, he went to go get a tattoo of a lion on his back. And when he took, it's an old method. He took out this big, huge, you know, uh, 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 iron or, or whatever metal type of needle and put it, dipped it into ink, and he started poking him. He screamed and yelled in pain. And he said, what is this? Why are you putting me through so much pain? He said, yeah, I am making the tail of this lion. That's where I'm poking. He said, oh man, this is so painful. You know what? My lion doesn't have a tail. He got cut you know, in, a, in, a, in a fight. He was just born with a little stub. No lion, no tail. Okay, please. It's okay, fine. It's what you want. He, again, he poked him from the other side of his back. And he screamed again. He said, you're so painful. What are you doing? What are you doing now? He said, I'm making this amazing mane of this powerful lion. He said, no, 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 no. This is a female. This is a lioness without a mane. Right? This is, this is no mane here. Okay. So then he poked it again. He said, what are you doing now? He said, I'm, I am now starting to uh, uh, make the tattoo of its, one of its, its hind legs. And so he says, no, you don't get it. My lion got injured in a very a big vicious battle. And it's now crippled. So it lost one of his legs. So the guy, he kicked this guy out of his store, right? His shop. And he said, get out of here. If you can't take a lion to be done, if you, don't have, you, can't be, you can't man up to hold a pain to get a lion on your back, you don't deserve one. Right? Because what's left now? You don't have a mane, you don't have a, tie, you don't have a tail, and you don't even have a leg. What's the point of drawing this? What kind of lion is this? So my ustad had shared this story when I was a young child. He said, this is what deen is. Deen dictates sacrifice. Deen dictates sacrifice. You say you're a Muslim, ah, I can't, I'm not sure about that. Ah, I'm not sure about that. Give up this, ah, I'm not sure about that. Then what deen do you have then? Where is the deen? Mokaf, you have to have, you have to, you have to have certain principles that you abide by. Certain issues you stand up to and say, no, I'm gonna take a stand on this issue even if I, it means I'm, I'll be unpopular amongst my own family. Otherwise, how can I go walk around and say I'm a Muslim? Because if everything I'm gonna cave in and I'm gonna say go with the flow, Pretty soon there's nothing left. Does it make sense? So this is what we're speaking about here. 
Hijrah, you have to do Hijrah, Ya Rasul. These women have to do Hijrah if they want to get married to you. And then any lady who wanted to say that I have, give, I have made myself Hibba, I've handed myself over to you, okay? And I want to get married to you without dowry, Nabi Wasallam could have accepted her, but not for the rest of the believers. Then next ayah, Turji Man Tasha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Rasulullah you have complete authority to, stay, to, to give nights and days of your marriage life amongst your wives as you wish. You can choose one over the other. But Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam, he did not do so. He, he made it very, very, very equal amongst all. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, This type of justice that you have amongst your wives, even though I've given you permission to, to spend more time with one over the other, this type of justice that you are, you are doing, this is much, uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna lead to the happiness of your wives. And it's gonna lead to them not becoming grieved. And they will be happy whatever you give them. Meaning, this type of justice will make your wives happy that whatever time, Alhamdulillah, my husband has given me time, they will, they will like you. They will, they will be pleased with you that you are going above and beyond what you have to do and you're ensuring that everyone gets the same. What does that tell us? That working on our relationship with our wives to make sure they're happy. You see? SubhanAllah. Everyone says, they take this, they take, you know, they clip the audio and they just listen to this part. Keeping our wives happy is 100% necessary. Keeping our spouse, husband happy and wife happy, 100% necessary. Making sure that you can bring a smile on their face every single day, necessary, important, rewarding. But my dear friends, remember, the rights of the husband and wife, they come after the rights of Allah. You cannot try to please your husband and wife while disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's just not acceptable. She wants this, he wants that. Hence, I'm gonna do haram. Absolutely not permissible. And this is where the issue comes today. That people, since the, the mizaj, the deen is not there between the husband and wife from beforehand. Now they get married, the husband attends a talk or wife attends a talk and says, so, oh, I gotta please her or I gotta please him. But look what, she's, what he's demanding or what she's demanding. If it's against the sharia, you cannot obey the creation if it entails disobedience of the creator. You cannot obey the creation if it entails disobedience of the creator. We're all about taking care and bringing a smile on our spouse's face every single day. That's part of the deen. That's what the Quran is saying. That if you be just with each other, if you be just with your wives, the wives will be so happy with you. Alhamdulillah, that's what we should do. They're the ones that we should genuinely try to please. But not at the cost of breaking the orders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that goes back to again choosing the right spouse. Why did you make that mistake? Why did you make that mistake? Why did you choose him? Or because you chose over looks or money. The girls are choosing over money. Guys are choosing over looks. Bus. So you, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. If this is a suffering in the dunya, imagine the suffering of the akhirah. That if, she's, if he or she is forcing you to not practice the deen, you're already paying a hefty price here. What's the price you're going to pay in the akhirah? I have no idea. And is it, was it really all worth it? Just to have, what, a trophy wife? Just to say that, oh subhanAllah, I have a very beautiful wife. Or just to say my husband, you know, he earned six figures. Just for that, all of this hellfire for, you know, that you're, you're suffering the dunya and akhirah. My dear friends, think 10 times before you sign the document, right? This is the biggest purchase. If you have to do a million dollar purchase, you don't look the other way and just sign it. 
This is more than a million dollar purchase. This is your dunya and your akhirah. Think ten times. Always say that. Don't look at the money, don't look at the looks. Only look at the deen. The deen is what's going to bring beauty and enjoyment in this world and the next. Nothing else. Everything else is extras. If it's there, it's there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah knows what's in your heart. Allah knows Rasulullah wants to be kind towards all his wives and that he's not going to give preference to one over the other in terms of the days he spends. And Allah also knows why he got married to all these women. He was not someone who was billah, someone who just wanted all the time women. If that was the case, then the first wife of his would be someone who's very young. And he would have many, many, many wives when he was very young. Instead, we are all well aware that Nabi Sallallahu first wife was 15 years older than him. And he had the longest marriage with her. And as long as he was married to this lady who was 15 years older than him, he never got married to anyone else. It was only much later in life, he ended up getting married to multiple women. And all of this, these nikahs were, were done where? Were done by Allah. Meaning Allah instructed him that this is your wife, this is your wife, and so forth. And there were many wisdoms behind that. And many of these things were to bring certain tribes closer to Islam. To bring certain, to build certain alliances. And this is, this is why Nabi والسلام, you know, got married to many of these wives. Allah Azza wa Jal then mentions that the last ayah is after you have now four wives is a rule. No, men cannot get married more than four. But Ya Rasulullah, it's an exception for you that since you already have more than four, we're not going to force you to divorce them. Because this will be very hard on the women as well to get divorced for this. There's an exception to the rule that you're allowed to keep what you have, but you cannot add to what you have. Right. Inshallah from next week, Allah wills, we will speak about the etiquettes, generally speaking, and the etiquette of walima and etiquette of you know, spending time with Rasulullah very beautiful lessons, inshallah, will be shared with us. We ask Allah to accept what we said today. Make it easy for me and all of you and our families and our loved ones to practice on it and to share it with others. Um, and we ask Allah protection from the evils that I spoke about. You know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala genuinely save us and our, our generations from this. A um, couple announcements I wanted, uh, for those who are listening online. And, you know, and inshallah, this weekend, we will have... Uh, a, a bunch of programs at Darussalam here. Inshallah, we have a basketball camp with the, the Alimuddin brothers um, from Friday, Saturday, Sunday for adults and youngsters as well. Different, you can register online or on the WhatsApp group. And then we have a youth qiyam, youth talk, youth night, Friday, Saturday, 7 p.m. till Saturday midnight with a bonfire and all sorts of nice things, inshallah. This is this Saturday night for, for, Saturday night for boys. 7 p.m. till midnight. Please register for it so that we can... Um, make proper food arrangements. And additionally, we may be, inshallah, I will give an update. All of you who are listening to me now, please do check our YouTube channel all the time and check our WhatsApp. If you're not on the WhatsApp, just message uh, Darus Salam's phone number or message me or, or put on the chat, whatever, and make sure you join the events group. So that way you can always be up to date. We may, inshallah, be actually having a very interesting I'm gonna, uh, uh, seminar this weekend. The details will follow soon. But we're going to possibly be doing a Friday night, uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday, a Braille workshop. Right? How to learn, teach, how to learn, first of all, and then teach people who are blind, or, you know, to read Quran. To read what? Quran. Right? So Alhamdulillah, Mawlana Yasser, a good friend of mine who's come here before, he's, mashallah, learned this, and he's taught many brothers, and he's, taught, he's got own, mashallah, students who are completely 100% blind, he taught them how to read Quran. I've seen them, interacted with them, amazing. 
right? Amazing what he has done. And I don't know anyone else who's doing this type of things. So he happened, he just messaged me, he said he's coming to Chicago this weekend. So he was open to doing a program here. He said it's a 10-hour workshop, open to both men and women. And he wanted to do a workshop Saturday, 10, uh, five hours, and Sunday, five hours. And by the end of that, he'll give a certificate as well. Um, and a person said, we'll get to know the basics of it. And he said, then there's going to be a few online continuation work, uh, hours at the end, which he will give us full-scale certificate to teach Nurani, Qaeda, and Braille. Right? Think about that. That you can actually get people to uh, uh, teach, Quran, you know, learn how to read Quran, even though who, who are uh, visib, uh, you know, challenged uh, um, in their vision. So... I do want a show of hands. How many of you are interested in this type of workshop? All right, on Saturday and Sunday. Would you be interested if we offer it? It'd be free. Would be people, let's see a show of hands again. Because I, I don't want to waste this time. Right? I told them if we have some interest here, we can, we can get that. Okay, alhamdulillah. So, I mean, I know this is just a small group of people. Those of you listening online too, you know, I think we can go ahead and do that. Saturday and Sunday, we'll have a, I'll confirm with, that with, with him, inshallah. We'll have that workshop. And then Friday night, maybe after Maghrib, we're going to have a specific talk on, like, uh, people with dis disabilities and the issues about and how to handle that and how the rewards of taking care of them because this is also un not too often we speak about this issue but obviously there's families who are going through this so inshallah maybe uh, we'll, uh, I will confirm with him for Friday night so look for the um, this Friday night I'm speaking about this Friday after Maghrib and then the workshop would be this Saturday and Sunday after Dhuhr inshallah okay details to follow on our whatsapp as well as on, on our emails inshallah um, and then Tafim program has already begun so please join us for that Saturday morning and Sunday morning online and on site. As well, Sunday school has begun for our children um, on site only. So these are the various programs that are happening. I definitely don't want to miss out on the vicar, so let me just make one minute because we're already late here. I'm going to make a minute of vicar, inshallah, and we'll, we'll conclude with adhan.